0: while I'm getting my notes up here, you guys can be turning there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is about to, um, he's about to describe to these uh, Corinthian believers his own heart. And the heart of any matter is always difficult to get to the root of. Paul is expressing to them and has expressed to them in several letters um, that he cares for them, that he desires to see God complete the work that he started in them, and that they need to flee unrighteousness. You know, God does, in fact, do all, every bit of it. You know, we sang the song earlier, I'm here to meet with you, reveal yourself to me, Lord. But the reality is, is that we're the ones that are lost, not him. We're the ones that are in darkness, he is light. And so many times, yes, we do find God, but it's only because he finds us. He opens up our eyes to the truth that was already in front of us, but we couldn't see it. And so as God shines his light on our hearts, there's a work of salvation that happens, but there's also a work of sanctification. It starts with salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 says that salvation is not of works, lest any one of us could brag about it. But it's, we've been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, so that God gets the glory. He's the one that does it. And yet there's some things that we need to do in order to continue in the faith. He gives us the faith to do it. He does it through us, but we have responsibility in this relationship he's given us. And so Paul has, in chapter 5, he's gotten done in chapter 4 talking about how we are like earthen vessels, we're like cheap Tupperware that's got cracks in it, and, and God has poured this glorious meal into us, but we're still cheap Tupperware. We spill. We get cracks. Now, of course, I don't think most Tupperware is supposed to be microwaved, but when I microwave with it, it gets cracked. It goes too far, especially the microwaves at work that are like 1,000 watts or something. When you put it on 30 seconds, you better know that it's going to be way too done. But in this life, you and I, the heat gets turned up, but God never looks away from the thermostat. He never looks, when the heat in your life gets turned up, God never takes his hand off of the thermostat because he knows how much that we can take. But he also, in the cracks, when he does allow us to get cracked, he knows that the glory of Jesus will pour through those cracks. That wonderful meal in the Tupperware, is going to spill out, but it's going to be great because someone's going to get a taste of the gospel. And so he's explained to the Corinthians that even though we have this treasure of Jesus Christ in us, in jars of clay, we know that if our earthly house is worn out, this tent, our bodies, even though it's worn out and we groan and we're just over time, they're, they're not getting better, they're wearing out. It's like your favorite vehicle. No matter how much you love that thing, the bearings go out. No matter how much you polish the thing, it'll fade and you'll have to do it again. It won't be like the original patina that was on it when it was on the showroom floor. It just doesn't work that way. And in the same way, our lives are that way and our faith is that way. But what happens is though our outward man is perishing, it's wearing out day by day, God renews us day by day inwardly because something is in us that does not wear out, that does not fade, and that is the glory of God. The glory of God doesn't get dull over time. If anything, we get dull, and because of that, He doesn't shine through as much. It's like, it's like that little cover on your headlights. You know, now they've got some ways to clean that off, but that plastic over time with the wear and tear and the stuff that comes off the road and just dirt. And sometimes when you wash it, the soap scum causes them not to be as bright anymore. That headlight is just as bright. It's what's in the way that's causing it to be less bright. And so now you can go online and find ways like using cutter bug spray. You can wipe that thing off and sometimes it'll get at least a little bit cleaner because of the propellant that's in there. That's one of those little DIY things like life hacks. But in this life, we as Christians, we're not the light. Let me repeat that. We are not the light. Jesus is the light. He's the glory that's within us. We're the ones that get in the way. He doesn't shine less bright. So we have a responsibility as the light of Jesus to let him shine through us. And what that means is that we need to get as close as we can to the one that can cleanse us outwardly and inwardly both, so that when we are squeezed, what comes out is the full brightness of his glory. Now, here's the deal. We like our glory to shine. We get in the way. Or we're not willing to be let him cleanse us, to change us, to remove the sinful patterns. And so God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, wants to remind them in this passage in chapter 5, That we are confident, even though our outward man is perishing, inwardly we're being renewed day day by day. We're confident, verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, that we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look at what's going on outwardly. we, We pay attention to what's going on behind the scenes. And we can only do that through the eyes of faith. Verse 8 says we're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So whether we're with the Lord or whether we're absent from his very presence and we're living in this life by faith, trusting in him, we're, we're confident, knowing that he is our hope and that life is not the end all be all. And therefore, verse 9, he said, we make it our aim. Now this is Paul not saying you guys need to make it your aim. He's saying, we, ministers of the gospel, called by God, chosen, promised an eternal future with him, promised an abundant life with him now, we make it our aim. You guys ever shot a gun or a bow and arrow? Like you can just shoot it without aiming, but do you hit your target? No. I mean, you might get lucky, but the idea is when you're shooting, it's an intentional thing. So Paul says, God saved us, he's done it all, I can't earn his favor, he saved me, he's promised me an eternal future with him, he's promised me abundant life, he's going to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, he is faithful who will also do it. Does that take away your and I responsibility? No. As a matter of fact, it makes us even more responsible because we need to make it our aim, just like Paul says, we make it our aim whether present or absent from the Lord, to be well-pleasing to him. Is that a goal in your life? Whether you feel the Lord's presence or whether you don't, you feel like, hey, I'm in a spot where God can't see me. (laughs) You ever heard somebody say that? They're in church. They're like, I can't believe you just said that in church (laughs) because that's the only place God can hear you. Seriously, you know, in Psalm 139, that's what uh, David would say. He said, where can I go And be away from your presence. And he goes through this big long list. He goes nowhere. If I go to the highest of heights in my life of faith. I'm in the Lord's presence. And if I'm in the deepest valley. Where I can't sense the Lord's presence. And I'm deep in sin. God's still aware of what's going on. So he says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are responsible for how we live out our faith, or for how we live out our faithlessness. And he reminded them of that. So in verse 12, he continues, verse 11, he continues, knowing therefore the fear of the lord which proverbs says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's not a fear of oh my gosh it scares you stiff although sometimes it is and it should be it's a fear that causes you to live rightly but then he says knowing therefore the fear of the lord this is our aim this is what we intentionally are aiming to do christianity is not what we're not I lived that way for a long time. A list of these are all things I can't do. And I heard other Christians live that way. You can't do that. You're a Christian. Okay, well, that's good. And it was true. But if I'm not supposed to do that, what am I supposed to do? Because if I don't find something to do, I'm going to get into trouble. He says, we persuade men. This is Paul's aim. We persuade men. We persistently talk to them. Now, our words can't persuade people. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for people more than we talk to them, but we still need to talk to them. We persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust we're well known in your consciences. You know us. He says, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. There were people that didn't like Paul. And so they said, Paul's not really what he says he is. Look at us. Look at who we are. Where did Paul go to seminary? Where did he get his training? Who's he? Who gives him authority? So they boasted in appearance these people that were against Paul and not in heart. Have you ever boasted in appearance and not in heart? Well, what's the big deal? God knows my heart. (laughs) That's the big deal. God knows your heart. He knows exactly where you are the only person you're fooling is yourself because everyone around you if you put off this facade you wear a mask they'll, they'll see the mask and what you claim to be but they'll also watch the rest of your life they're aware of more than just what you post on Facebook they're aware of more than what's going on outwardly or that you say that you are you know we oftentimes look at ourselves and we go people only know what I tell them no especially us we live in a small town People know way more than we want to tell them, right? And so what Paul is saying here is, I know what they're saying about me, but I know them too. They boast outwardly, uh, and yet they're not what they say they are on the inside. So therefore, from now on, verse 16, I'm jumping ahead. He said, we regard no one according to the flesh. And then he goes on in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is covered by the blood of Jesus, if anyone is in Christ, covered by him, then he's a new creation. He says as a result of that, you can know that because the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The idea is that all things are becoming new. It's a continual process. God doesn't just flip a switch and we don't even have to try. If that was the case, he would just take us to heaven and be over. But this life is about transitioning from this old life and God shedding away all the junk. And trust me, I still got my own junk too. And then making us new day by day. And as he's doing that, we are a new creation. We're being made new. And I love this because the old me, not so good. Shame, guilt, brokenness, hatred, Lust, all of those things balled up into one ball of nastiness. And I came to that spot where I was like, Lord, I tried this on my own. And I know you've told me over and over again, you want to make me new, but I think I can do it. And when I finally realized that I was only toiling for vanity to try and reach some place I couldn't get on my own, that is when Jesus was still there going, I'm waiting for you. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will make you new. Yes, I'm calling you to be new, but I will do it. I'll make you new. So this is kind of a long intro, and I'm going through what we taught last week, but I wanted to recover those things because as he transitions, he says, now look at my life. He says, "He says, look at my life. He says, at the end of chapter 5, he says, Now then, as we've been given this gift of salvation, we are now no longer citizens of this world. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And not only that, but we're ambassadors. Do you know that foreign countries don't pick their least and their, their most downcast? The, the people that don't... Re- they call people to represent them that will represent what they stand for. The ambassadors are supposed to be the cream of the crop. And so what Paul says is now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Do you know God is desiring to plead through you and I to people that don't know Jesus? You ever pleaded with somebody? I mean, we don't like to ask people for anything. We don't like to plead with people. The word there means to beg. Beg. I don't like to beg, but we're begging not for ourselves. We're begging on behalf of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who is not above begging. Why should we be? He says, therefore, we plead as though God were pleading through us. And he is, we implore you on Christ's behalf. We're pleading on his behalf. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He died for your sins. Why would you not accept that kind of forgiveness? Jesus said, greater love has no man than that he would give his life for his friends. I don't don't have anybody that's ever done that for me. They might have given a little bit of time or some money or a little bit of help in some area. No one's ever died for me, except except for Jesus. And he says, this is the reason, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, using that phrase, in him. Paul uses that phrase, I didn't count this, somebody else did. So if you find out it's a wrong number, then I take it back, it's not true. But a pastor I listen to, who I hold in high, high regard, though I should still check his numbers, he said, Paul writes the phrase, in him, 87 times in his writings. Now, Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament. But in every one of his writings, he used the phrase, in him, a total of 87 times. Or somewhere around that. That tells me that it's important that we are in Christ. If we can do something in our lives where it causes us to not want to be in Christ while we're doing it, perhaps we shouldn't be doing it. We need to remain under his care. So, he continues on. Verse 1 of chapter 6. We then, as workers with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, we are workers together with Christ. If God calls you to do something, he's not calling you to do it by yourself. That does not mean that people will crowd around you and go, hey, we want to help you do what God's called you to do. Trust me, I know this. I've experienced it, not just here, but other places. When God calls you to do something, it's going to be hard. He's going to give you more than you can handle so that you'll need him to do it. Because more than the stuff he's wanting you to get done, he wants the time with you. Yesterday, I went to change my oil at my mom and dad's house. Now, if you ever worked in the shop with your own parents, I hope you've had that experience. I learned it while dad had a business working on cars. So I'm 10-12 years old. I'm the guy that changes the oil on people's cars and I'm also the guy that puts all the tools away when things are done. And then when somebody needs a tool I better get it right now. There was no patience because there was three stalls, one mechanic, and nobody at the front desk except the mechanic. And so I'm the go-between. I'm the, and I loved it because I knew what dad wanted and I would go get it. And when it wasn't there, I was upset because there was going to, something was going to fly my way if I didn't get the tool in time. My dad loves me, but he's still impatient just like the rest of us. And so all that said, during that time, I learned how to change my oil and stuff, but dad and I still do that together. He still got the lift. So we put my Jeep up on the lift yesterday and I'm working with dad, right? But really, he kind of takes control of it, and it's his shop, and I just let him do what he does because all I did was bring the oil over. I just need an oil change. So we're dropping the oil out. We're doing all this stuff. And Kelly comes along, and she's watching the kids, and, and my, my son's inside with Grandma, but Kelly's like, I, I need to go check on him. And Lucy still wants to stay outside. Two-year-olds, they've got a mind of their own. It's weird. And so she wants to go stay outside, and Kelly goes, hey, can she come in the shop with you? Well, at my house, absolutely, break on in. It's going to take longer, but I want time with my daughter. At dad's shop, don't come in there with clean clothes. Don't be knocking over stuff. Don't be moving our tools. Don't be making noise. We, and, and also, we don't want the car to fall on you. You know, there's that too. There's the safety issue, but there's also the like, hey, we're doing our deal. Stay out of it. And, and I respect that because it's his garage. But when it's at my house, my daughter is going to work with me. My son's going to work with me. As long as they can still stand me, I want them. Because that goes away at a certain age, right? I don't want to spend that with you. I got friends. So I'm going to get as much time with them as I can. Because discipleship happens while we're doing everything else that we have to do. Oil changes, making dinner, uh, putting kids to bed at night. All of that stuff. That's when discipleship happens. Deuteronomy 6, Steve personally taught about it. When you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk by the way. Everything you do is an opportunity to disciple each other. Each other, all of us disciple one another. It's what we need. We need interaction with one another. That's how the body of Christ grows. Some of us rub the, you know, the, the fine edges off. Some of us machete off a piece that needs to go. And, and some of us are more uh, subtle and gentle. And some of us are like, hey, that needs to happen. But the reality is it is it needs to happen in relationship. God is not above taking longer to do something while we're getting in the way. God's work, the work that he does, is not what we like to think of it as. We think of it as us marching. We're marching to Zion. You know, like we're doing it for Jesus. And we just picture ourselves as lifting all the weight. But what's really happening is what happens when I go to push mow the lawn. And Lucy gets out her push mower. Pop, 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 pop. And it's got this little thing. You pull it. it goes, whoo, whoo, which is really loud in the house. We took it outside. And as we're getting ready to push mow, Daddy, I help you. Sounds great. Stay out of the way of the little thing where I'm blowing rocks out, you know. And as I'm push mowing and actually doing the work, she gets to be a part of the work. Now, you and I know that she's not cutting a thing. There is no grass getting cut. She's getting in the way, if anything. But what I know And what the Lord knows is that we find purpose in being a part of God's plan. And though we're really not cutting the grass, we're really not saving souls, we're really not sharing the gospel with people, God's doing it, and we get to be a part. And more than us being successful or perfect, He wants time with us. And He'll get that if He's got to move us sometimes so we can push mow the right spots. And so in the same way Paul says that, he says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God's given you his grace for salvation. He's also giving you the grace to bear with people that are not as far along as you. He's also given you the grace to be able to share the gospel. And so don't receive that gift from him in vain. Recognize that that gift has been given to you to use it. He says, and he quotes there, in verse two, uh, my Bible says he's actually cl- quoting from Isaiah 49 verse eight. He says, "In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you know there is an acceptable time of salvation? Do you know what time is? It's finite. There's a distance from beginning to end of time. He says, there is an acceptable day of salvation. You and I, we live in this day of grace where God is offering freely to whosoever shall believe. He's offering salvation. And salvation is not just our ticket punched to heaven. Salvation is, you know, you tell people I've been saved and they're like, well, were you drowning? Uh, were you in a car wreck and somebody dragged you out of the thing no i was born dead in my trespasses and sins and god breathed into me the breath of life that can only come from a relationship with him our sins separate us from the lord and in order to have that gap taken away our sins have to be dealt with god is a righteous judge And so what he did, we just read there in verse 21 of the last chapter, he made Jesus, who had never sinned, he put all of our sin on Jesus. In exchange for that, he gave us his righteousness. Jesus got the worst deal ever. But he did it for the joy that was set before him, our salvation. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary payment. He took our debt and gave us his account full of righteousness. He imputed, he deposited his righteousness into our account. And as a result, our sin was deposited on Jesus, and sin has to be judged. And so because of that, all the sin was put on Jesus, and it pleased God to punish Jesus. Does that make any sense to you? That makes no sense to me. Why would it please a father to punish his son for other people's sins? Because, again, he wanted that relationship with us. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Now, I don't know about you guys. I love you guys. I I don't know all of you that deeply yet, but I do have this supernatural desire to see you walk by faith and to see your families grow in the faith but I'm not giving you my son for nothing. I don't love you that much. Jesus does. And so the reality is, is God loves us more than anyone on this earth ever can or ever will. So he says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you're ever talking to somebody, they're like, well, I'm not ready yet. Now's the day. You're not promised tomorrow. Be reconciled to God. Plead with them. You don't know what a day brings, is what James 4 says. Verse 3, therefore, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. If we're trying to share the gospel of forgiveness of sins, we're trying to share the gospel of God's grace, we need to stay out of the way. And he says, therefore, we give no offense in anything. Now, Paul was offensive to people. Because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus, which says the only way to be saved eternally is by Jesus Christ. That's offensive to people that think they're going to make it on their own. Hey, I don't need Jesus. I got, I've been going to church my whole life. Trust me, you need Jesus just as much as the rest of us. If you've been going to church your whole life and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're missing it. You've gained the whole world, lost your soul. It's not going to get you anything. But Paul says we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Look at it. Look at the headlines. How many ministers have you seen in the headlines? And of course, the media takes this and goes to town with it. You never hear about Billy Graham and how he's been faithful, although he is in the highlights. But you you hear about the minister who cheated on his wife. You hear about the minister who's taken a bunch of money from the ministry. He's stolen money. What's the problem with that? Well, there's obvious problems because the law, but the major problems they've given the cause for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Do you know why King David was reprimanded so harshly? Why there were so many negative effects because of his adultery with Bathsheba? Everyone I'm, I'm assuming knows that story. David in the springtime Instead of going out to war like all the other kings did and fighting battles and conquering lands and taking the people out of the land of Israel, he stayed at home. When everybody else was going out to battle, David stayed home. And because of that, he had a lot of free time. So he started looking out over and he got up on his kingdom and he looked, standing in his castle and he looks, hey, there's a woman. Now, seeing someone, seeing a woman and looking at her, People don't wear enough clothes, right? Seeing them is not the sin. Looking again, that's the sin. That's the going to it, looking anyway. And so what David did is he acted on that. Sin conceived and brought forth. It kept going. And and so the biggest problem was his sin, but the bigger problem was how it affected God's kingdom. Because of his sin, he gave all of the enemies of the Lord that God wanted to use Israel to show the faithfulness of the Lord to. Because of David's sin, they blasphemed our God. Now, there was another guy who blasphemed the Lord. That was Goliath. And David, as a young, ruddy guy, came out of the sheep herd. He came out to the field that day in the valley of uh I can't remember the name of the valley, but there they were, the Philistines. And Goliath said, I defy the living God. If you guys will send one guy out to battle me, then this thing could be over. If you guys lose, then we're going to basically run your kingdom. And if we lose, we'll serve you. And so David goes, I will not listen to this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to go out there and battle him. So he goes out there and he kills Goliath. Not for his own glory, but for the glory of the kingdom of God. They were blaspheming his God. He had righteous, zealous anger. Now, fast forward. David has been walking with the Lord. He didn't go out to battle. Instead, he stayed home and rested. Just chilled out for a little bit. And during that time, it wasn't the enemies of the house of the Lord that were blaspheming. It was him. And he caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme rather than stopping them from doing it. My point being is that by the way that Christians conduct themselves, they bring discredit and defame the Lord. If we are not faithful to the Lord, what it does is it causes those who do not believe to go, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. There's no changing power in God. He's just a false God like all the rest of them. Now, some people will have those excuses anyway, whether we do anything or not. I get that. But we have a responsibility as we represent the Lord as we're his ambassadors to live for him in a way that does not bring shame to him. And that should be our prayer. Lord, help us to live out this life of faith and not to bring shame to your name so that others will know you and be saved. Verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. He says we commend ourselves. In other words, we say, look at us. Not to say, look at us, but look at God's faithfulness. He says, we put ourselves as examples before you to say that God is faithful. He says, we commend ourselves as ministers of God, but he doesn't get to live out his faith in ideal conditions. I don't know about you guys, but as a Christian, I'm all for following the Lord. And I'm like, this is, this is a piece of cake. Except I don't get to do it in ideal conditions. You know, everyone wants to hit a home run but it's the guys that can hit one when the wind's blowing at them that get the real fame because they're like, hey, that guy hit a home run and the wind was blowing at him. And in this life of faith, we've got to try to hit home runs while the wind's blowing against us, while life is still going on, while we're going to our jobs day in and day out, while we're dealing with sickness at home. That's when we're called to live out faith. And so in the same way, Paul says, we... we in all things commend ourselves as ministers of God verse 4 he says in much patience in tribulations in needs in distresses in stripes he's talking about when he had been whipped for his faith in imprisonments now paul didn't go looking for imprisonment he just pretty much everywhere he went it seems like he got to know what the jail cell looked like because of where he was doing what he was doing in tumults in labors in sleeplessness, in fastings. We commend ourselves to you, and we live this life out sometimes in fastings. Does that mean Paul was like this super spiritual guy, and he was like, I'm just going to fast twice a week, and I'm going to just ask the Lord to give me strength. No, I think sometimes he did that, and I think in other times he fasted because he had to. He didn't have any food. If you went to jail in his culture, there wasn't three hots in a cot. There was, hey, if you have people that like you, even though you're in jail and you're kind of a scumbag, they should bring you food because we're not going to feed you. So people died in those jails. And Paul had to live out his faith with no food. Now, if you want to be tested in your faith, this is when it happens. This is when the rubber meets the road. When you're hungry, <laughs> that's a big one, right? My stomach starts rumbling a little bit. I get a little testy with my wife. Not because she needs to cook faster, just because I'm irritable, hungry. My flesh is crying out. It wants to be in control. Angry, when you're angry about something, that's when you'll get tested. When you're lonely and when you're tired. Think about when all those things happen at once. It's a blow up. I mean, I just saw it last night for my two-year-old and I'm like, that's what I look like when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And on top of that, she had a runny nose. I throw a fit. And the Lord says, that that's not what it looks like to live by faith. You need to be above that. Now, it's not about mm, bearing up under it. It's about trusting in the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you in this. And so, yet again, about the relationship. But Paul says, we commend ourselves to you, not in ideal conditions, but with all these things going on. Verse 6, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering. That's another word for patience. And if you've ever been patient or... You want to learn to be patient? I think that's a good word for it, long-suffering. You know, if you can learn to suffer long, you can know what patience can be like. Uh, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, by des- as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live as chastened and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things he says as this yet this he's saying this is the circumstance yet this is the result these is this is what people were saying about paul they were saying Nobody knows him, and yet many people knew him. They were saying, he's, he's dying. He's, look at him, he's wearing out. And yet, behold, he says, I'm alive. At, as chastened, they were saying, that all these bad things are happening to Paul because he's being chastened by the Lord. He's, he says, yet, uh, I've not been killed by my chastening. Maybe I did need some chastening, but I've not been killed by it. He says, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. What did Paul write? He said, rejoice in all things. To the Thessalonian church, he says, it's God's will that we would rejoice in all situations. That's not something that you can do unless your hope is built upon something that does not disappoint. And that's that the love of God has been given to you, that you have a purpose. And yet, uh, making many rich, even though we've been called poor, and Paul was poor, he'd given up his status. Paul used to be on the the board of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council over Jerusalem. He gave up that position to be a Christian because most of the Sanhedrin, they were against the Christians. So he gave up his earthly position. Paul had been schooled in all the best rabbi schools. So Paul knew what it was like to give up the world, what the world thinks is good, in order to obtain the promise that God had given him as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. This is walking by faith and not by sight. He says to them, and I'll close with these last couple of verses. Verse 11, he says, O Corinthians, O Corinthians, can you imagine? Like when you're talking to your kids, you're like, seriously, we've had this conversation. I love you. Why are we still battling in this thing? Why do you refuse to obey Why are you not seeing the trees for the forest, he says, or the forest for the trees? He says, oh, Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. We've bared our souls before you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Because you care what these people think when they come in, you're missing out on what we're giving you as the gospel. He says, and and this is what we'll talk to you about next week. Verse 13, now in return for the same, since we've been open with you, I speak as to children, you also be open with me. Let's be real. Let's, Let's deal with the problems we've got. We've all got them. You know, and I think if there's anything that's a big problem in church, any church, ours has the same problem, it's lack of openness. Paul was open with his people. He bared himself to them. These relationships God's given us in the church, sometimes what you'll find is if you'll open yourself up to these relationships, they'll be deeper than any relationship you've had in even your own family. You know, I have people that I've known since I became a Christian that I I call them first. It's not because I don't love my parents. It's just because God's used them over and over and over again, and we're equally yoked. They're, they're aiming to be pleasing to the Lord, and so am I. So I need counsel from somebody that's aiming to be pleasing for the Lord. When I need prayer, I call someone who's been through what I've been through. And I don't know that they've been through that unless they've openly shared it with me, even though it might hurt. We need to be open with one another. Paul says, I've, bared, I've, bor- I've laid myself bare before you. Be open to me as well. I'm open to hear the complaints. Uh, But also be open to hear my response. Let's work through this together. I know these people have said all this stuff about me, but why don't you approach me like Matthew 18 says. If anyone has sinned against you, go to them individually and have the conversation. Those conversations are uncomfortable and they're messy. But when you come out the other side, giving grace to one another, they're relationship building. Roots dig, dig deep. And we find out that we're all faulted and we all get humbled and we all get to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Showing the love that we've been received to our brothers and sisters. And then we'll also get better at being able to bear with those that don't know the Lord. To recognize that, yeah, they act that way because they don't know the Lord. Why would they act any different? And then we'll get to share the gospel with them. And we'll know at that time when God gives us the opportunity, we can text somebody. Say, hey, pray for me. I'm witnessing to somebody. There is nothing more exciting than sharing the truth of the Lord with somebody that doesn't know and to get to lead them into a relationship with the same Jesus that we know. So, let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for Paul. We thank you for his willingness, even though these people, many of them, after he spent 18 months with them, planning a church Many of them said Paul's nothing just because somebody came along that didn't even know them. Paul had shed tears over them. He had prayed for them. He didn't take payment from them. He built tents all night long just so he could share the gospel with them. And yet, they scoffed at him. They didn't think very highly of him. They rejected his counsel many times. And yet, Paul, still wanting to reconcile them to the Lord continue to bear with them, continue to pray for them, continue to share the truth with them so that they would turn and experience forgiveness. Father, help us to do that. Help us to catch the heart of Paul, to love people like you have loved us, to be willing to look over their faults, maybe even the things they've done to sin against us or speak wrongly of us, Lord, help us to not count that against them, just as Jesus said to the people that were scoffing at him while he was being crucified. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, make that our heart. Help us to be like Jesus in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.